people. Look at that. You guys are cool. I like you. Chris, you can stay there if you want. You don't have to move. That's cool. Um, I'm just, you know. Um, well, we're going to turn in our Bibles. If you turn to Psalm 42, um, we're going to consider uh, Psalm 42 and 43. Tom, I could like reach out and touch you. You're so close. You're usually like, it's like, Tom, Tom, Tom. Um, yeah, praise God. Uh, Psalm 42, we're going we're gonna to consider there this morning. I want to, uh, I want to visit a subject. Uh, I, promised a, uh, I promised last week that we were going to talk about uh, 13 forms of unbelief. I've, I've actually, that's been reduced to 11, um, but we're, we're, we're not quite there yet because I think we need to lay this one foundation piece home again. Uh, I want to I drive home a point. Um, I want us to drill down deep into to an essential truth because I, I believe that, that we need to embrace this idea exhaustively before we go and expose these areas of unbelief in our hearts. And so we're going we're gonna to read Psalm 42 and 43, and I want to I talk about um, the, the fight of faith in our hearts. And, uh, and, and then next week we will move on to unbelief um, in, a, in a greater and, and fuller way. So Psalm 42 and 43. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation, and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, 
and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would enrich us, embolden us, enliven us, and teach us as we spend time in your word this morning. Lord, we pray as we consider this song, verses 1 and 2 and and verse 3 from the sons of Korah, that just as they learned how to fight back against unbelief, we pray that we would learn to do the same in our daily lives. Father, we pray that as we prepare to do some surgery over the next two weeks, as we prepare to dig deeper into our souls and confront areas which perhaps have been left locked up, which perhaps we have been afraid to unlock the door, Lord, we pray that you would show us the way. We pray that you would show us your grace. We pray that you would encourage us in your truth. And we pray that we would learn to live and to love these truths. Father, I pray in all these things that you would guard my soul from having the posture of one who acts like he has arrived. Because the longer I know you, the more sure I am that I fall far short of your standards. And I know many in this room feel exactly the same, Lord. We are great sinners, but you are a great Savior. And so as we hear from your word, Lord, I pray that we would not be crushed, but lifted up. I pray that we would not be distracted or anxious, but we would be encouraged. And I pray that we would not see the standard to live up to, but that we would see the hope of deliverance. We pray your blessing on the word and our time in it. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, why read Psalm 42 and then 43? Um, This song is written to the choir master. Uh, It is a maskil, which is a musical liturgical term, which is a kind of song like today we talk about power ballads, right? There is is, uh, stadium rock music. That's a genre. You know, there are particular kinds of, of music. You guys move back. That's awesome. There are, there are particular kinds of music. There are, I think I said love ballads. There are slow songs and fast songs. This is a, a maskil, a particular kind of song. It's written by the sons of Korah. And here's what I think happened. They wrote the first two verses, and they became so popular. Everybody was singing them, and they were using them in temple worship. They loved them. But I think the sons of Korah detected a deficiency in their song. It wasn't a complete thought, and they wrote... The third verse, which is Psalm 43, which is tacked on to the end. It's a very common practice with hymns. Someone, you guys don't have to move, really. You don't have to move, really. I'm just, I'm kidding. I, I gave him permission to go back. 
Um, it's it's really it's really okay. Um, so so I think that they that they wrote Psalm 43 as a third verse, and this is a great practice. Most of the hymns of the faith that have endured for a very long time have undergone edits and updates, and praise choruses have been added. This is a, a recent development in contemporary music, but but it's been very typical. If you look in your traditional hymnal, of which we have none, but if you've got one at home, you'll notice in some songs it'll say like verses 1, 2, and 4 by such and such an author, verse 3 by so and so, and sometimes that guy wrote those verses 30 or 40 years later and they, they stuck them in. Uh, the sons of Korah, I believe, and you'll see it from the consistency of, of, the, of the song here, that they, they wrote this as, as one large unit. Here's the way each verse functions. The beginning of the verse shows internal self-talk, okay? And that is the problem. The problem is that there's something going on in the soul, the heart, and the mind of the psalmist. He's talking to himself, and that's dragging him down, eating away at his confidence in God. And then the chorus, which is verse 5, verse 11, and verse 5 of Psalm 43. Let me just check that. Yes, verse 5 of Psalm 43. Those are the answer. And the answer to the internal self-talk is to talk back to the soul, take command, put hope and promise and, and, and joy and belief in the promises and commands of God. So that's what we're going to see in each verse. The first verse here, we see the psalmist, he's crying out about his own internal dryness. He, he says, he uses this image of a deer panting for water, an animal separated from his water source, longing for a drink. He says, in the same way that this animal pants for God, the way the deer pants for water, that's the way his soul cries out. He is thirsty for God, the living God. I think that John captures this analogy well in John chapter 4, where Jesus calls himself living water, the living God who satisfies the soul. Jesus says, whoever comes to me will never thirst. He's crying out for God. He longs for God, but he is unable to appear before God. Verse 2, he's unable to get to temple worship, and this makes him sad. Notice how sad he is in verse 3. He says, tears have been my food. It's a bitter, salty meal. He's weeping so much. He's so distressed about his condition. He can't get to be with God in the temple worship. On top of that, those around him, his companions, perhaps those who have enslaved him or who have separated him from his people, they mock and they torment him and they ask him this question, where is your God? If God was real, if your God were actually working in your life, he would save you. He'd deliver you from the oppression that you're under and he'd enable you to return to temple worship. Where is your God? And notice his torment as he thinks about his joy in the past in verse 4. He says, I remember while I'm crying, as I pour out my soul, I would go with the throng. We'd go to the temple and we'd rejoice in God. This is what's going on in his mind. This is his internal self-talk. Do you ever feel yourself doing this? You're, you catch your thoughts dragging you down. You catch your thoughts speaking at you, drawing you away from God. And you find yourself longing for the past, longing for 
for a happier time. It's, it's like the salad days, I think they call them, right? Like back when it was like, it was, it was wonderful. Everything was great. Oh, long ago in a happier time. When we're with Nancy's grandma, invariably the, the conversation will turn to politics, right? And there, we, we always kind of like, okay, not going there. Or why America was much nicer when she was a kid. And it was like wonderful when she was a kid. Wonderful to the level that we think this is, might be a world that never actually existed. Because we think about our childhood and we were like, hey, it was awesome when we were kids. We loved it. We were, we were kids when we were kids, right? And we didn't have all the weights and problems of, of being adults. We long for the joy of that past time. And our thoughts drag us down and take us back to there. Maybe you are longing for joy and satisfaction from God in your present circumstances. The psalmist shows us the answer to this kind of internal dryness and questioning of God that goes on naturally in the soul. And here's the answer. The answer is to fight for joy. And to fight for joy against yourself. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has famously said that most Christians would enjoy a greater level of happiness and satisfaction in God if they would just stop listening to themselves and start talking to themselves. And this is the a main idea. I've said this in the past. I believe I've said it recently. But I want to hammer this home, drill it down. I want you to see that this is biblical because when we engage the fight against unbelief over the next two weeks, unless you're convinced that this is something we should and have to do, it's, it's going to fall on deaf ears and you'll think that, that, that can't work or, or maybe that'll work or maybe that's good for you. Maybe it's just another theory, but it's here and it's biblical, okay? Internal self-talk. That's the beginning of the verse. Now, here's the, here comes the chorus of the song. Why so downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Here are the four stages of the fight. Okay, this is the answer. The first step is to, is to probe. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? The first step when we hear the self-talk going on in our minds is to say, what are you worrying about self? What are you dwelling on? Have you ever taken a, a worry or a concern test of yourself? This is, this is how I do it. If I find myself distracted a lot and, and I find myself, you know, the, the day, it's kind of like the mood that I'm settling into is one of like despair. Woe is me. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll, I'll try to grab the thought. What is it that I'm worrying about? I write it down on an index card and then I go back to whatever I'm doing. And then when I feel worried again, I look at my index card and I think, am I, am I worried about this again or is it something else? And if it's something else, I write that down. And then I start putting hash marks. And so often I find that I'm, I'm not an anxious person. I'm really just worried about the fact that my car is in the shop and I'm going to have to get tires put on it. You know? I'm thinking I'm going to be poorer. Or I'm thinking somebody I love is, is going for a medical test. And I should probably not be worrying about that. I should probably be praying about that. And so the first step here, this is probing and saying, why are you cast down? What are you worried about? What is it that's stressing you out? Soul, identifying it. 
But notice the next step here. He now commands his soul. He provides direction for his soul. He first says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And then he commands himself. He says, hope in God. Put your confident expectation, put your hope for deliverance, put your focus for deliverance on the God who loves you and promises to save you. We live in a culture that thinks that emotions are the front of our directional compass in life. Does that, does that make sense? Our emotions lead us and guide us. We hear people say things like, I just can't help the way that I feel. I mean, this is the way that I feel. And so this is what I'm going to do. As if our emotions are what guides us and not the minds that God gave us. That's putting the caboose in front of the engine, the cart before the horse. If we were not able to command the emotions, God would not command us to command our emotions. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. If we were not able to say, soul, you will love and you will repent of not loving the Lord your God, then God would not have commanded us to do it. Now, I'm not saying we can do it perfectly. I'm not saying things aren't clouded by sin, but there are ways of making decisions to love God, and there are ways of saying, I'm going to consider the promises of God and love Him, and there are ways of not doing that, right? You know, one of the ways that I can express my love for my wife is to wash any dishes which I have made before she comes home, right? You know, because I am famous for, I cook my eggs uh, really, well, I don't cook them real hard, but, but um, when, I, when I'm done cooking them, I put the pan back on the stove, you know, and the stove is hot, and then, right, I know, you're like, no, not good. I could say, well, you know, I have to go off to work now, you know, she's been out meeting with someone, doing a discipleship meeting, I'm just going to throw the pan in the oven, or I mean, in the, uh, in the sink, and off I go to work, um, you know, and I'll just go do that, because I'm the breadwinner, or I could say, that's not loving, don't be so self-centered, wash the pan, and that's a way of, of of driving my emotions and my actions toward her. Does that make sense? We can do that with our souls when it comes to our hope and our anxiety. Emotions are the caboose of our being. And if we direct the engine of our mind in the right direction and we focus on the promises of God, our emotions will learn to follow. But we've got to be directive. We've got to command our emotions. Probe, command. The third thing to do is to believe. How do we know how to hope in God? How do we grow in the ability to hope in God. Notice what he says. He commands himself hope in God, and then he is assured of hope. He says, for I shall again praise him. Why does he know that he's going to again praise him? Because he knows that eventually God will deliver him. That's what he knows is going to happen. How does he know that? Because of promises which he knows from temple worship, promises which come out of God's word, which have been read in his presence. Now, we find truth and hope in God's word. We're called to believe God's word. Belief, this is the opposite of unbelief. Belief is all about God's word and trusting in God's word. In your daily fight 
against anxiety and despair and drought and any other thing that rises up in your soul, if you don't know God's word, you will not be able to hope in it. And so if you're going to command your soul to hope in God's word, to hope in specific promises designed to counteract your sinful tendencies, and we all have them, you need to know God's word. Because vague generalities about God will not cut it. But specific knowledge of God's word will bless you. Now, absorbing God's word takes three things. A time, a place, and a plan. When are you going to do it? Where are you going to do it? And how will you do it? In my house, I have a clear surface. I have a set time that I get up and I go and I read God's Word. I have a Bible that always stays there on the shelf. And I've got my little bookmarks that I I use to guide me and lead me through the reading of God's Word. I'm not saying this because it's like, hey, I got up this morning and did my devotions and I'm more spiritual than you. It's just, unless I do that, It's not going to work. I'll tell you, this is the Bible that I I preach from, and I used to keep my bookmarks in here, but I found that so often I would lose them, and then I'd be like, how am I going to make it through the Bible in a year? You know, how am I going to keep up with my my plan or my devotions? Or I'd take the the bookmarks out, and I'd find myself somewhere during the day, and I'd be like, oh, I can do my Bible reading now, and I wouldn't have them. So I've got a particular place. I've got a particular plan. I write what I read down in a little notebook because it's real easy for me to be generous with myself and say, oh, it's not been that many days. Since I missed time with God's word, you know, now I write it down and it's like, shame on you. You weren't here yesterday. A time, a place, and a plan. If you're thinking about kids, by the way, keys for kids, children's Bible hour ministries, great stuff. They'll send you a free book every other month for a whole year. Get it. Good stuff. Our kids love it. There are lots of Bible reading plans online to help you know God's word. But you're not going to be there unless you choose a time, pick a place, and have a plan. Probe your soul. Command your soul. Believe in specific promises from God's word, and then focus. Focus your heart and your mind in the right direction. We're called to focus not just on self-centered promises or vague generalities of what God will give us, but promises of what God has done to save us and the treasure that he is to us. This is moving away from just commands and exhortations to do the right thing and focusing instead on what God has done for us in the gospel, what he's done on the cross and who he promises to be to us on a daily basis. Notice what the psalmist says, hope in God. That is the commanding. And then there is the believing, I shall again praise him. And then he focuses what he is is expecting from God. He calls him my salvation and my God. When he calls God my salvation, he's saying that God is his life. God is his righteousness. That's what we reveal, that's what's revealed to us in the New Testament Christ is our very life because of what he's done for us on the cross. He's canceled away. He's canceled our sin. He's taken away our reproach. And he's given us his righteousness. If we repent of our dead works and our sins and we believe in the gospel, my salvation and my God. 
Is God God to us when we're fighting? Are we looking for specific commands so that our life will work? Or are we fighting back against unbelief, crying out to God to deliver us and focusing on specific promises because the ultimate goal of our lives is to dwell with Him and enjoy Him as our treasure forever. I'll again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Probe, command, believe, focus. Let me just say, none of this is self-help. This is Savior help. None of this would work without God working through us. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, Just as in, you've always obeyed in my presence, so now in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it's God who is at work in you both to work and to will for his good pleasure. Why are we called to fight and to battle? Because God is working in us. And so as we lift up the promises of God and say, this is what God has done for us in the cross, in the gospel, by the power of his Holy Spirit, we're engaging and doing the work which he is doing in us. Does that make, does that make sense? If we're just kind of not fighting, if we're just doing the lazy river ride, We're short-circuiting the work that God desires to do in us. This isn't self-help, though. It's Savior help. This is doing what God has appointed. This is the, the means of salvation here. Paul says this in Romans 7, verse 23 through 25. He says, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. That's negative self-talk. It makes me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's saying, thanks be to God, the deliverance that I need from myself, from my soul, which is constantly dragging me away from God, is Jesus Christ my Savior. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, right? Here's, here's, he's fighting against his soul, but my flesh, with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. We're called to fight, but we fight against sins without number. We fight against desires that we cannot control. We fight against uh, an enemy, the devil, who, who is more powerful and wiser than we are And we are not able to be good in a sufficient way to cancel out our sins. But we can say, praise God, we have a Savior who delivers us and calls us to fight back. Don't forget the gospel in this fight. Don't make this all about self-effort and works. Let's look at the second verse here. Things are going to move a little bit quicker now that I've explained how this process works. Notice now he cries out while he is in doubt. The problem, again, is internal self-talk. Think for a moment about how much of your life you actually live up here in your mind, right? How much of your life goes on here that nobody, nobody sees anything about? I mean, to me, all of you are like looking at me and, and to me, that's, that's what's going on. You know, and I'm thinking, 
Are they, are they hearing? Are they receiving it? But you're thinking like, oh, is that true? Is that not true? Isn't there another Bible verse that says this? I heard a pastor once say this. Or you're thinking, yeah, you know, this is, this is great. And you're thinking, what am I going to do when I leave here? I got to go here, and then I got to go here, and then I go here. I got to pick up this thing. There's all this stuff going on in your mind. Or you're, you're hearing the devil accusing you in your heart and your mind. There's so much going on up here, right? We live a lot of our life up here. This is where our hopes, our dreams, our fears are. A lot of life goes on up here. So the problem is the internal self-talk, the, the negative, rising up, sinful law of the flesh that is drawing us away from God. Notice what he says in verse 6. Now he says, my soul is cast down within me. Okay, verse 2 begins with he's back in the same place again. I don't know, it's been like five minutes, a half an hour. Maybe it's the next day. You know, he hoped in God and now he's back to where he started. From. So my hope, my soul is cast down within me. He, he remembers the goodness of God, but he sees his present distress. Verse 7 says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and waves have gone over me. He's thirsting for God. He's thirsting for living water. But what does he see? He sees breakers and waves, waterfalls crashing against him. His life is chaotic. He's had some good providential experiences and times of praise. We see that in verse 8. But the big problems are causing continued doubt. He calls God his rock, but he wonders if God has forgotten him. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? What's the specific evidence that God's forgotten him? He goes about in mourning because of the oppression of his enemy. It stings him when his foes mock him. Have you ever had that? Somebody says something to you and it just sits on you all day? Like a kick me note? You know, it's just like stuck there and you're like, oh! And you can, and you can feel and you, and you feel it burning inside you. Like, is this who I really am? Am I really incompetent? Am I really insensitive? Am I really like that? The stinging wound. They say to him, where is your God? Your God's not real. This isn't true. God doesn't love you. Are any of your present circumstances causing you to doubt God's goodness and love toward you? Do you ever feel like God is answering everybody else's prayers but yours? And it's like Valentine's Day in grade school, right? 20 kids in the class and the prettiest girl's got 19 Valentines. Why did she forget me? It's like, she didn't forget you, buddy. She overlooked you. <laughs> you ever feel that way towards God? Why is everybody else prospering and I am struggling? Notice what the answer is. Verse 11 of Psalm 42, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist's answer is to fight for faith and hope and joy. He begins by probing. He turns his soul over. The heart, Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is desperately wicked and sick. Who can understand it? The image that I, I like to think of is a Dagwood sandwich, you know, uh, the blondie 
comic, the guy makes the, the sandwiches that are so big, you know, that he can hardly carry them. He's always like holding it under his chin, you know. He like, he doesn't just put a pickle on his sandwich, he puts the whole bottle in there, you know, the, the jar of pickles. Um, and it's this, it's this huge, massive mound of problems. Our souls are like that. You'll start in the morning and you'll attack pride and you'll, you'll repent of pride and then you'll find anger and bitterness. And you, you're like, oh, okay, get rid of that. Didn't realize that was there. And then there's impatience. And you're like, okay, repent of that. And, and by midday, you kind of feel exhausted, right? You're, you're fighting back against sin. And then, and then you think, well, but at least I'm fighting back. And then you're like, oh, there it is again. There's pride. Okay, repent of that. You know, and, and, and your soul is complex. It, it takes this constant removing of sinful layers. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Hope in God. Part of hoping in God is to realize that God has revealed himself as good. The scripture says that he does all things well. He never fails. He never changes. He never tempts anyone to evil. He always gives good things to his people. And so, so often we need to repent of not believing in his goodness or his faithfulness toward us. There I go again, doubting God's goodness. Command your soul to hope in him. And then believe. He says, I will again praise him. You know, it's not enough just to read the Bible. It's not enough. Because you don't have it with you all the time. You're not going to be at work in the middle of a meeting, standing up in front of your class if you're a teacher, you know. You're a, a, a corrections officer. You can't tell the inmates to calm down for just a second while you go get your Bible. You know, you run a daycare. You can't be like, okay, everybody just hold it. I need to go get the Word of God, you know. Life doesn't work that way. We need to have the Word within us. It's only recently, in the last 500 years, that Christians have been able to own nine Bibles. You know? 17 different translations. I've got this study Bible and that study Bible. I've got the NIV, the NCV, the ESV, the KJV, the NKJV. You know? We've got all these different versions. This is unheard of. For most of history, Christians have heard the Word of God. They've memorized it and they've carried it with them. They've written the commands of God on their minds. God says, bind them on your forehead. That's an interesting way of saying, get it into your brain, right? Memorize it. I've heard one pastor say, tattoo it on your eyelids. It's not enough to read. We need to know the word. Psalm 119 verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 says, Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is not the sword of the believer. It's the sword of the Spirit who's working in the heart and mind to reform the soul. You may say, I don't have a good memory. I can't memorize Scripture. I think the great argument is if you can memorize your phone number, you can memorize Scripture. There's nothing more random than ten numbers. And yet... I could tell you what my home phone is and my cell phone, and I could tell you what Nancy's phone number was when I was dating her in high school, and my phone number from South Carolina when I lived there. I just, they, they just they come up. Why? Because we said them over and over and over and over. Isaiah 50, verse 4, says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. 
that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear as those who are taught. This is the confession of somebody who gets up early, gets God's word inside of him so that he is able, as need arises, to sustain the weary. And that may be someone else or that may be you. One of the reasons why we pick fighter verses out every week, this week's fighter verse is actually next week's fighter verse. It's going to have the same fighter verse two weeks in a row. Next week I'll explain what that verse actually means. I don't have time to get into it. But the reason that we pick these verses, I think they're particularly relevant to whatever I'm preaching on. And it's a way that if you memorize that, if you get it into your heart and your mind, you'll be able to recall it in a time of test and struggle. Hope in God. I will again praise him. So there's the commanding of the soul, believing, and then focusing. Focusing on my salvation and my God. Ask yourself, what is the gospel? What has God done for me in the gospel? Here's a command. When you're struggling and you're feeling like maybe, not God, maybe God's not going to come through for me. Maybe not, God's not going to meet this need. You know, maybe I've just I've used up all my promises. I've used up all the blessings. I've sinned too much. Romans chapter 8. He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give us all things? Fight back with that. What's covered under all things? Everything, everything else that I need. God gave us His Son, His mercy, and His love towards sinners is abundant. He loves us. He longs to be gracious to us. How will He not then also give us all things? This, by the way, is the gospel I found this yesterday, just randomly. Wonderful quote from C.H. Spurgeon. This is what he says. Spurgeon says, Come unto me, he says, and I will give you. You say, Lord, I cannot give you everything, anything. He does not want anything. Come to Jesus, and he says, I will give you. Not what you give to God, but what he gives to you will be your salvation. I will give you. That is the gospel in four words. Will you come and have it? It lies open before you. Isn't that great? I will hope in God, my salvation and my God. When you think of the promises of God, are you thinking about particular promises that show God's love and care and affection toward you in the gospel because of what Christ has done? Or are you thinking primarily about things that you need to do? You may have memorized the Ten Commandments. They're not really going to help you fight. There's lots of other things which are promises from God, which once you get them into your soul, they will sustain you. They'll give you energy because they will make you aware of God's grace and love toward you. Let's look at the third verse. We're going to move through this really quickly and make some final points. And we'll finish up. Notice, finally, crying out while in despair. The problem, again, is internal self-talk in the first four verses. He's now crying out vindicate me, defend my cause against these ungodly people. 
de- deliver me against, from deceitful and unjust men. You're the God in whom I take refuge. Notice he's moved from forgotten. Now he's saying, why have you rejected me? Why do I go about in mourning? Because of the oppression that's coming upon me. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Save me. If you know 12-step language, this is what we call bargaining. Right? Save me, God. Because then, verse 4, he says, then I'll go to the altar of God. Then I'll praise you. Then I'll call you God my exceeding joy. And I'll write songs of praise to you. He's, he's, He's in the third verse, but he's also the most panicked now. He's He's the most sinful. Why? Because he's drilled down deep into his soul and he's found all kinds of detestable, sinful things there that he's now going to repent of. Verse 5. Why so downcast, O my soul? He's probing at it. What spiritual defect is going on in there that's causing me to struggle or to doubt or to fear or to question God's goodness? He's probing. Next, he commands, hope in God. This is a a forcible thing. Have you ever been driving a car when the power steering fails? And you're suddenly like, it was so easy to turn and to guide the car a second ago, and now you're like, ah, you're like hauling the wheel to the left or to the right. If you've not had the experience, um, I highly recommend it. (laughs) It, it, You suddenly, you become so much more alive. (laughs) You know, you're like, I must fight to stay alive. This is, this is, Hoping in God is actively turning the mind to the truth of Scripture. It's, it's, you're saying, okay, I've identified this defect. Let me flip through my reference file of Scriptures and call something up. Sometimes they just bubble up. The Spirit will just punch it to your, to your heart and to your mind. Actively turning the mind to the truth of Scripture. Actively considering the Scriptures as precious promises of your Father God to you in Christ. Command the soul to hope, and then believe words. We're called to trust in specific promises suited to your need. As a mom or a dad, you may feel like all the effort and the energy that you're investing in your children, you're like, I don't see a lot of life change. I don't see it all paying off. Or you see your kids were going this way, and now they're going this way, and you're saying, am I a total failure? How about this? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. This is the fighter verse from Easter, by the way. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Why? Knowing that in him your labor is not in vain. That saved me so many times from despair. I feel weak and powerless to change my circumstances. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Other people are getting ahead by cheating, sinning, my friends, you know, who grew up in church with me, they're all, you know, they've got girlfriends or boyfriends and they're just, you know, they're breaking all God's laws and they look so happy. Am I being left out? Psalm eighty-four, eleven: The Lord God is a sun and a shield. 
the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. You're building your confidence in promises like that. One of my favorites, I hear my soul say, maybe you can get away with this sin. You ever say that to yourself? Or have yourself say that to yourself? What do you say back to yourself? I like this one, Psalm 69.5. Oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. He knows. Make no mistake. Just talk back to yourself. No one else may know. No one may ever find out. You may hide the secret forever, but God will know. Trust in specific promises suited to your need. And this is what we're going to do over the next two weeks, those 11 areas. I actually am writing a book for you called Battling Unbelief. Here's a guy. He's, he's leaping for joy on the cover here. Does that look like me? That's me. That's me. I took a picture of myself, and I, I wrote here that I'm saying, for by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. I'm not done, so I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't go there yet, but I'm, I'm working on it, and it'll be, it'll be worth it. Trust in a specific promise suited to your need. And then focus on God. The goal is not being good. The goal is not serving God in such a way that he does not condemn you. The goal is in keeping God as your treasure and your joy and your life and salvation and fighting through despair and doubt. God is mighty to save in the present. He's working in your life. He is God. He is salvation. And he will triumph. And as you learn his word, he'll teach you the truth of his word so that you will know that he is the one who saves. If you challenge God to act on the promises of his word, one that may sound arrogant, but you're not doing anything other than what he says in his word he delights to do. Save me according to your word. That's in Psalm 119. I think it might be 65. Four closing applications. It'll take about a minute. Number one, store up a barn against famine. You may find plenty of time to read God's word over the next three weeks, and then you may find suddenly that you're in the midst of a trial and you feel like you've got no time to pray, you've got no time to read God's word, you, know, you can't make it to small group, you can't make it to church, you know, because you've got this thing to deal with or that thing to deal with. Farmers harvest in the spring, or they, they plant in the spring and they harvest in the fall so that when it's winter, there's food, right? Store up a seed barn of precious promises from God so that when you are in need, they are there. Get yourself a Bible reading plan. Maybe that's what you need to do this morning is write on your notes page, Bible reading plan, and go and get one. If you want one, I will email you one. I can, I've got dozens of them in my file cabinet. Make a memory plan. Maybe you, you're reading the Bible every day, but you want a system to recall. I've got two or three of them that, that I, could, I could advise you. I, not a lot of them work for me. I just write them on index cards and say them till I know them, and then I, I lose them. Um, but hopefully they're, they're stuck up here. So store up a barn. Number two, find specific weapons against your worst temptation or problem. If you struggle with anxiety or lust or greed, there are promises specifically for you. Start in the concordance in the back of your Bible. Number three is to acknowledge 
that each and every day your worst enemy is yourself and your unbelief. It's not the world and the devil. They cannot hurt you. But you can hurt you by doubting the promises of God. And then finally, repent of a lack of scripture memory if you've not already done that. Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What could be a more noble goal than to not sin against the Lord who purchased us and made us holy in God's sight? How could we just disregard his word and say, nah, I don't really have the time for that. Don't feel like doing it. If that's you and you're saying, I'm just not going to do this, let me just urge you, repent. This has made such a tremendous difference in my life over the last year and a half. I cannot tell you how valuable and important it is to me. And I think it's something that God commands in Scripture. Store it up. You will need it. You will never be sorry you did it. You will only be sorry if you didn't. God is powerful. He's mighty to save. He's put these principles in his word to deliver us. Will you embrace his plan for you and embrace the grace he's put in his word to teach you about his son, his sa- our savior? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. I pray for each and every person here. Lord, I pray that on some level, Lord, they don't need to memorize Psalm 119 or the book of Leviticus. That is not what we're talking about here, Lord. But you have put sweet and precious promises to us in your word, Lord. You've implanted truth that's able to sustain our souls in your book. And Father, I pray for each and every person here that you'd create a burning desire in them to write truth on their hearts. That they might know you in a deeper, more intimate way. Father, I pray that you would teach us to fight back. Lord, We don't put our confidence in ourselves, though we put our confidence in you. We thank you for the words of Paul, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? We bring deliverance through Jesus Christ, and we thank you for that. Father, may we fight for joy and salvation from him each and every day of our lives, Lord. We thank you. We love you. We pray your grace on us in Jesus' precious name. Amen.